delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is on the grid. G'day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A massive show coming your way. Very shortly, we're going to catch up with team principal for WAU, that is Bruce Stewart. We'll talk about their decision to take on Fords and especially the Mustang next year as their car of choice. Also, the boys will be joining me to wrap up what was an amazing weekend at Winton for the supercars with the Pizza Hut Super Sprint and also plenty of other things happening as well. Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, all to come your way right here. On the grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. As we say good day to Richard Crowell, as we always do at the top of the show. Crowley, hello to you. Hello, Bex. I know we spent four days at a racetrack together and saw you at 25 seconds, but that's yep. the way motor racing works. It is. Uh, good weekend at Winton, wasn't it? Uh, cracking weather, which was a surprise, but a welcome one. Uh, some really interesting racing, both across all of the supports and the main game races, which we'll dissect for you a little bit later on the show. But yeah, fascinating weekend as we, believe it or not, Shebex, roll towards the halfway point of the season. I know it's hard to believe it's going so quick at the moment, but one of the big stories, of course, for the past week has been that of WAU and their future for 2023 and beyond with the Gen 3 car and also the uh, great improvement of Chas Mostert over the weekend. Some fantastic racing by him consistently over the three races. Bruce Stewart, team principal for WAU, joins us. G'day, Bruce. How are you? Yeah, very good. How are you, gents? Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, First of all, let's have a quick look at the weekend. It was one of those weekends where it was sort of bittersweet, wasn't it? Chaz was fantastic up the front and really took it to those cars, but she was Nick still having some issues. Yeah, it was certainly better than uh, what was a really dire and disappointing uh, Western Australia Perth weekend, but we didn't really find our pace still. We still, you know, lacked a little bit and had a couple of deficiencies in the car. And certainly uh, with Nick's car, you know, he had a few more and we, we um Really, we're playing a game of catch-up, migrating from a setup that was a long way away, trying to find the sweet spot on a two-day event, which is always tough. Uh, how easy it, is it to get bogged down, Bruce? Because it seems like the only driver in the championship, let's be honest right now, that is consistent week in, week out, is SVG. Yeah. Everyone else has a good weekend and then a, a challenging weekend, and then you bounce back. How easy is it to get frustrated by that, and, and how... Do you work as team principal to keep your guys and girls just on the game, eyes on the prize to keep that continued improvement that we've already seen, admittedly, from the team this year? Yeah, and look, from our point of view, um, when we've been fast, we've been really fast. And mm. then when you're outside the window, um, you're playing catch-up. You know, we've had that at three rounds with Tassie and then WA and then to a lesser extent at Winton. So it is it is very hard um, and those two-day events amplify the difference when you're outside the window. Um, uh, my old mate Ludo up in uh, Queensland was ragging me a few rounds ago about, you know, inconsistencies, but even those guys have been pretty solid, struggled at, at uh, Winton as well and just showed how hard it is to catch up. And I think the other important part is every team um, are constantly improving and you've seen a few teams really lift their game. 
you know, notably the the Grove guys and girls. And um, that's cool for the sport, but it makes it super competitive because um, you've got to keep everyone on the game. And, and I think you genuinely learn more from the rounds that you are behind or you're struggling, you're trying to catch up mm. than the ones that you come home smelling a champagne because uh, too easy to get ahead of yourself. And, you know, this is a bloody tough sport. And I think that's testament to the sport, isn't it? And just how good this sport is, is that you can't just go out week in, week out, get a car tuned and off you go. There's it, it, so much work behind the scenes to make sure that you roll out on a Friday in yeah. some sort of good nick. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we have a couple of challenges that we've been fixing our car and, you know, without a, a massive n- a number of test days, that also makes it hard. But, um, you know, I'm very lucky. We've got fantastic engineers and dedicated drivers and an amazing um, crew and mechanic team. So um, everyone is working super hard. And I know that sounds like a racing analogy, but mm-hmm. it's true. You know, you see the hard work that goes in. This is a passion game. You don't do it to get wealthy. You do it to be part of something. So um, everyone believes in where we're going. We've just got to keep the old uh, shoulder to the grindstone, keep pushing hard. And and just tell us about the car two side of the garage with Nick. And obviously it's a new setup that's come yep. into the the team this year. Is that just a case of it taking a little bit longer for them to integrate with the way that Chaz and Adam, who have been together since the dark ages work or what what's going on on that side of the garage? Because we all know that Nick Perkat and the team are better than yes. where they were on the weekend. Yeah. And you're right. And we really haven't given them, given Nick the right widget to drive as yet. Admittedly, he has been learning our car, which has its own idiosyncrasies and it's a long way away from where the BJR and how that turns. Um, But importantly, you know, we've got talented people around the team and so um, we keep just trying to fine-tune it and fine-tune it and get it there. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that Nick will be very successful in this team. It's just um, ensuring that we get the right combination to take him back to the top. He's a super talented uh, driver and wrapped to get him back in the team. We've mm. just got to learn to uh, put that car on the road correctly. For the uninitiated and after 16 years in the business, that might still be me. Uh, how do you have two <laughs> cars it. that are so far apart? How, isn't, it, isn't it just a matter of dialing one into the other and saying, right, now we've got two similar cars? Well, you, and, and when you do have them close together and you have a car that's in the window, then, yeah, it's an easier game. But... Um, when you are finding areas where you'd like to improve your car or where others have a competitive advantage, um, you tend to try and search and and find a couple of different areas to set up that you think you can tune the car into the window. And um, we've uh, done that reasonably well in the past, but um, we've had some challenges more recently. So, you know, again, we did a better job at Winton, but not happy where we're at, not uh, happy until we're fighting for podiums and, and wins. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's c- competitive, Tony. And, you know, obviously, you know, we had a test day um, a week and a half ago, you know, at, at Winton, and, you know, the track changes so much. Yeah. Even in that period, you're like, wow, uh, there's no free kicks in this game. So got to keep pushing and uh, keep developing. And the last one on Winton, mate, nice to get the juice, young Jaden Ojeda, yeah. into mm. the wildcard entry and get him some laps and, um, in a, such a competitive environment, thought he showed his talent and his level of ability really well. Yeah, I'm personally and on behalf of the team wrapped for him because uh, he's a super fast, super um, 
I guess, energetic and good person to have around the team. And in that respect, he comes from Western Sydney. He comes from Penrith and he wears that like a badge of honour and talks about JC and uh, hasn't come always naturally easily for, for Juice in regard to funding and get it, keeping his career going. Uh, so I th- I'm wrapped we're doing something around him and helping Jaden demonstrate his talents. You know, and there has been a little bit of a rub in the past that um, he's super quick but equally a little bit erratic. He drove so maturely on the weekend. Uh, a couple of moments, particularly with Slady coming racing through the pack, he could have defended a bit harder and lost everything, but he played a, an old pros game mentally and got the car home and in good condition and secured a, the, the spot that he needed to get. So I'm excited for him personally and professionally, and hopefully he can do a better job and we keep progressing him at Darwin. And then next year, the world is his oyster and supercars. We talk to the young kids in the game at the moment about your behaviour and, and your ability to impress people as you go along through the journey. And currently I'm working a fair bit with the Formula Ford kids. And before that, it was with Formula Four, where I was with you yeah. when you yeah. were with Motorsport Australia. And is that something that Jaden did for you when you were there? Was that as a, as a 15, 16-year-old in Formula Four or 17-year-old, I think it was, was that something that he did? He impressed you that much that you've kept an eye on him and now we get to this position? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he admittedly, he came in a year after I'd, I'd come back to WAE or well, Walkinshaw Racing at the yeah. time, but um, was still keeping an eye on it. And he was very impressive in that. And I know he, he won around at New Zealand, I think, seemed to remember where he did really well. And um, yeah, I, th- I just like the story. I just like the fact that if we can help the real talent get through who don't have the commercial backing and keep you know, the cream rising to the top, our sport will be better for it. So, and we don't have a spot for Jaden, you know, yeah. like, you know, next year. So let's just make sure that's clear. And he, if he ends up at, a, at another team and whether it's Matt Stone race or whatever it may be um, down the track, I'm wrapped because we've helped the right person get into our sport. I think we, from a media point of view, like him because he's good for a quote and he's got a bit of that, Swagger, like you said, around mm-hmm. him and the sport needs more drivers like that, frankly. Yeah. We, we need the personalities. And, you know, he got the, the juice nickname quite early, but he <laughs> yeah. he, he plays with it and we all, we all really like that. Um, big story, mate, a couple of weeks ago, a uh, yeah. week after Perth, a uh, couple of Fords coming your way next year and some factory backing from the Blue, o- Blue Oval. Firstly, congratulations, because it's you. a massive accomplishment for any team to land fa- factory backing in this day and age. But... A couple of weeks on, um, where do you guys sit on it all? What's the reaction been? What's the vibe within the team and the environment now? Well, look, firstly, we want to be really respectful and uh, honour our past and we'll never forget it. It's part of our DNA. And, uh, you know, we knew that the the rusted on red fans, this was going to be a bit of pill to swallow hard initially. But thankfully, um, through, I guess, the announcements and a, a little bit of leak from our mates up the road in Speed Cafe. <laughs> you know, the pressure valve was let out and a lot of the vitriol came out, but when they heard the rationale and reasoning around it, a lot of people have been very proactive in talking to the team and saying, you know what, I love the team. So whether you're red or the red or blue, I'm, I'm following you. Some other people are saying we understand what you're doing, but um, we can't follow. And we're, we're like, no problem. We respect that. You know, um, uh, we appreciate our fan support and we're going to, represent Holden proudly to the end of the year. Um, but next year, Gen 3, new manufacturers, this is the opportunity for our team to take the next step. 
And we're in this to take the next step. We want to compete at the very top. We want to take our once great team back to the top. So in a package, the decision to go to Ford was because it's a better car, because it was commercially better due to the fact that you got factory backing, or C, all the above? Well, there are so many elements that come into it. So, yes, um, certainly I think uh, if you talk in regard to the focus and the vision from when we spoke to the people at Ford and what we were expecting to do, immediately it clicked that we we knew that we were all aligned. They understood our um, direction and what we wanted to achieve out of this. We go racing openly to try and win races and championships. I've got three bosses that um, are in this, not to be seen in the supercar pit lane. They just want to win. So their instruction to me is pretty uh direct and succinct, take our team forwards, win races and championships. So um, in that respect, Ford appreciate that. And I think that's what they're looking for in their teams. And, um, you know, I guess at the heart of it, that uh, alignment in our vision and our values and what we're expecting was very, very close and aligned. So it makes the conversation about everything else very easy. I'm interested, Bruce, if you could walk us through the process of actually getting this done because all those, the backroom deals are all really fascinating. And I know there'll be elements you can't talk about, but yeah. you're, you're the guy that runs the team day to day. I mean, you, you mentioned the three owners in, in Ryan Walkinshaw and Michael Andretti and, and Zach Brown, who are hugely influential in the motorsport world. So do they come to you and go, Hey, we're talking to Ford, go and do the deal. Or do you go, Hey, I reckon there's an option what do you think? Do we have a chat to these guys? I'm interested in how that sort of part of this process worked for you guys. Well, one thing's for sure, um, they're all super connected in the mm. world of motorsport. So um, with Zach and Michael, you can say, hey, I want to speak to these guys. And the introduction is very quick and um, you get through to the right people. So um, in that respect, it was for us a uh, analysing and understanding the market and doing it in a proper methodical way. So um, I won't really go into it any further, Krause, but, you know, no, I think um, that when you understand the reach that you have with owners in that respect and mm. and people like Ryan and, and Martine and the Walkinshaw family as well, like their experience and um, connections in the motorsport world are ex- extraordinary. So um, I'm lucky in that respect that we can get to the right people, start the conversation, and it's never just one person. It's... Um, a collaborative with all of our owners, and that's part of the strength of WIU. You talk about reach, the reach that this team has had for such a long period of time in regards to the fans of this sport, of course, through its days as the Holden Racing Team and and beyond, and now moving into the next generation of car and, and fans as well. What has the response been like from the diehards? I, I know you and I had a chat on the grid up at Winton, and I was really surprised to hear that you've received so many emails of such yeah. positive nature. Yeah, I, th- I think when people hear news that they're unexpected, they can react very harshly, particularly online. And well, Lounsey got death threats, didn't he? I think so. You know, yeah. Like, and and yeah, he was very good uh, personally for Chaz and Nick to talk to them about you know the ride and how to uh, navigate it. But equally, um, it was really cool to go to such a hardcore red versus blue race event and think, well, you know, if there's going to be some feedback and honest and direct, it's going to be 
here and I, I honestly got that many more hugs and pats on the back and, you know, people say I understand and handshakes than any abusive word. It was extraordinary. So uh, I think people, uh, once you explain why you're doing it, um, can understand the rationale and we're all human beings. We all have to, um, we want to try and compete. We have a solid, strong direction of what we want to do, which is win races, championships and take our team back to the top. And they, once you, they understand why you're doing it, they might not like it. And, um, but you know, they understand, I think it's really important also, you know, we are not turning our back on our history. Our history mm. is something we're super proud of and will always be, but we have to help this WAU team take its next step. And um, 2016 was uh, the last time we were factory backed. Um, and uh, we've worn the Holden badge proudly for the last five years. But as part of our process of crawl, walk, run and get this team back to the front, this is another step. And thankfully, people have been very good understanding about it. Can I just yeah. say, Crowley, off the back of that answer, that I think we've actually grown up as a sport, if that's the case. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Sure, absolutely. And I think the other thing about it, Bruce, is that WAU as a team, like you mentioned, has got you know, it's got a longer history than anyone in the sport at the moment outside of Dick Johnson. So you've got an amazing long history to draw on, and I love that. And I also love the fact that this will be hold the last year we see the lion on a car, yeah. right? And next year it's Chevrolet, and we all know that. But I, I love the fact that it's like a full stop with Holden. Yep. moving out of the sport completely and, and finally you guys move on as well and i like that there's a, a full stop there you mentioned respecting the holden brand and, and your relationship with the company and gm as it still stands but what's the process like now for you guys to move over has the, the talk already started with the guys at ford and the guys developing gen 3 yeah i mean uh we'll be uh assisting and uh, using our expertise and experience to assist the homologation team at DJR, um, you know, and they, they will lead the way um, in this respect. And um, we know our position, again, we're, we're respectful. We're, uh, we'll get behind and put the shoulder of the wheel and help them. Um, and that's um, part of preparing for Gen 3, make sure we've got the a very competitive car versus what we know will be a very competitive Camaro and um, go out and race at Newcastle the first round. Well, it's been a very busy couple of weeks for you, especially the last week or so. The good news is you get a week or two just to breathe a little bit before we get to the next event in Darwin, which is always a spectacular event. Yeah, looking looking forward to that. But plenty to do. So uh, uh, Juice has got a uh, another wild card test day and then... Um, Soon enough, we'll be rolling the uh, cars into the truck to Darwin and we'll be up there. So looking forward to it. Good on you, mate. Thank you for your time. Sorry, Richard, were you going to say? No, no, no. I was, I was only going to ask if um, if you reckon anyone can beat Shane for the championship. But that's a silly question to ask a rival team owner because, of course, they're going to, yeah, of course we can. Yeah. So uh, let's like just, it. I'll let that one go through to the keeper. Yeah, no, good, good. no, I wasn't nice. going to ask it until Shebeck stopped. <laughs> I, think, I, I think he agrees, though, that it's getting harder each round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's doing a very good job. Uh, Isn't he? a very good job, and um, he's a super driver. Um, but we've got to keep focus on that. Yeah. Know, all good. Good on you, mate. Thank you for your time, Bruce. Really appreciate it. As always, we look forward to catching you at a racetrack again Love very you. soon. Love your work. Thanks, gents. Take care. Bruce Stewart, team principal for WAU, joining us right here 
on the grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on the grid. All right, Krause, the team's back together for another look at what was a great weekend of supercars up at Winton. Mark Walker, first of all, good day to you. Hello, Tony Shebecki. Hello, Richard Crail. Yeah, I think we all were at Winton, but <laughs> uh, somehow we couldn't organise ourselves being the one place at the one time. It's pretty Krause, this week. Crowsey and I said it before, we were together for four days within 500 metres of each other and we saw each other for 25 seconds. All I saw was you driving your car between paddocks, which were 100 metres <laughs> apart. That made no sense. <laughs> That's actually a very good point. We'll Why wasn't that a that. knot? That no, should we'll have been del- a knot in the power rankings. <laughs> Why don't we miss that? We'll delve into that a little bit later on. But I can explain that. Our next guest, hashtag direct guy, Tom Archuli, is with us as well. But Dale Rogers of theracetalk.com was also there. And at no point in four days of motorsport did the five of us get no. together in the same environment. It never happened. Now, I, I definitely saw Tom and I saw Mark. I saw Shebex for about 30 seconds and I saw Dale for about 25 seconds. I, I don't know if we all saw each other at one point or another over the week. I don't know how yeah, we well, managed. Tom, Tom and I saw each other first thing Saturday morning. We were watching the beautiful sunrise mm. and the fog over the course. And then we saw each other at the end of the day on the grid for the Saturday race, just as he was about to jump in his car and head off. Imagine going to Winter for the first time walking out of the car park and what you see is Tony Shebecki there to greet you. Couldn't there not be anything better in the world than it's Winston Victor- and Tony Shebecki together? It's Victoria, my friend. Of course I'm going to greet you whenever you he step is, foot on here. He is omnipresent. Um, but what do we think, boys? From a Winton weekend point of view, that was about as good as it gets, I think. from Firstly, from the weather, yes, it was freezing cold in the morning, but my goodness, they were delightful days, weren't they? And even Sunday, like, it was jacket off. Um, yeah, the, the weather was great, but what about the spiders? Oh, the, <laughs> well, big issues as always first here on the grid. Let's talk about the spiders, shall we? There were flying spider webs what around the course. What is go with that? I don't know. There, there must have been a billion <laughs> spiders making love or something on the Friday night because Saturday morning, I don't, I don't know how they make webs. I don't. But they were everywhere. Were they near the um the, the caravan that was the hospital or um, was that somewhere <laughs> yeah, else? Everywhere, Tom. They were everywhere. We were in the dummy grid for Career Cup on Friday up near the new red painted control tower. Yeah. And you'd just stand there and you'd be chatting to Lounsey and then all of a sudden you'd feel something in your mouth and it was a dead set bit of spiderweb that's just floating through the air. And, and if the light was right and you looked across the grass... And it was very nicely manicured, it must be said. It, there was this little silver sort of sheen on top of it, and that was just spiderwebs everywhere. If anyone knows what the hell that's about, please let us know, because Country Victoria is a nicer place than that to be infested with uh, a billion spiders and their freaking spiderwebs everywhere. Before we swing into the analysis of the event, it was just great to be back at Winton. You forget how good a spectator track that is. Yeah, There's not many permanent tracks that the cars are running so fast, so close to the walls, which are mm-hmm. clearly next to the spectators. It was really cool that, you know, you sort of forget after the last few years of not being there that you mm-hmm. go back there and it's like, hang on, this is a really cool little thing. The sight lines are great everywhere. You know, the campers there were absolutely chock-a-block and yeah. uh, they had to deal with some freezing conditions in the morning and um, then they'd be stripping off during the day, which was, that was half the challenge. What are you running? What's the setup? Are you running shorts or longs? 
well, I ran shorts because I only wear shorts to the racetrack and was was jacked off by lunchtime Saturday. But I think Winton was my first time there. And, you know, I was able to walk the whole track and see every single vantage point. You can't do that at many other tracks. And you could basically sit at any corner at Winton and watch the race. Um, and it's fantastic viewing, like the end of the coming out of the first corner and then through the fast sweeper. There's so many good vantage points to watch at Winton. It's definitely you know, while the weather is a bit cold, but it's a beautiful place to watch a car race and it's affordable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Tom, I can tell you that you were there Saturday and we looked at the crowd Saturday afternoon and amazed at how big it was. Sunday, double it. That back straight through the the flip-flop and then down through the back straight down to the final hairpin was just a chockers of tents and cars and people. It was just an amazing sight. Yeah, see, I didn't think it was it wasn't the biggest Winton crowd nah. we've uh, seen by far. It was I, that was an average Winton crowd, yeah. but it was a decent crowd for sure. I think Election Day too probably had a little yes. bit to do with yeah. it. Mm. Mm. Hey, no, it was a really the- good good vibe and, and really good race meeting too, Shebex, from a not just from a supercar point of view, but from the whole broad program point of view. I thought it was a great race meeting. And back to those old supercar days when you, the first race is at eight in the morning and it's on all track all day, all the way through to five o'clock at night. I thought it was really, really well done. There was absolutely something for everyone from the big six litre V8 to the uh, sports sedans through to the little formula Fords up to the uh, Utes. They had a big presence, the Aussie mm-hmm. racing cars. No, they didn't. You're right. We'll come to them. I'm just trying to build it up a little bit. Uh, the Aussie racing cars were too bad. Yeah, Aussie racing cars are, are what you see is what you get with them, isn't it? They generally yep. turn on a pretty decent show. Carrera track, they go Carrera to. Cup had everyone, yeah, holding their breath at, at times as what was happening there. And then it was supercars, which was a great event as well. No, you're right. It was a, a spectacular event in regards to the entire uh, on-track entertainment. They didn't need, you know, guys jumping, doing loops in motorbikes no, and exactly. all that sort of stuff. It was just... What happened on track was four-wheel action, and people appreciated it. Good point, Shebex. And I, maybe I'm in the minority, but I get more value out of what we had on the weekend, even if one of the categories was super utes, uh, than I do seeing Matt Mingay, as talented as he is, skidding a Hot Wheels ute or blokes on motorbikes doing laps. It just, to me, it just doesn't add anything. I'd go to a car race to see car racing. I'd rather watch a Formula Ford race. Or um, And even if sports sedans aren't that great in terms of an, a wheel-to-wheel contest, because let's be honest, we all hype up sports sedans yep. and then it turns into a procession because half of them break. But I'd watch one sports sedan pound around on its own, let alone 20 of them. So you still get something out of it. So for mine, that's what a race meeting should be. It's like the Adelaide 500 used to be. It was just race after race after race. It always comes almost, back to Adelaide. Always comes back to Adelaide. What's the benchmark, Shebex? It's almost like Race meeting should have a, a race that is a bit of a butcher's picnic that has something for everyone because yeah. the sports sedan race, oh, there's XD Falcons out there. Yeah, beauty, mm. you get a load of it. Oh, my mum used to have one of them. <laughs> but the super utes, what do, what do we do? What what can they do? What What is the fix for that? Because it's all about, oh, well, we need more cars. They've got more cars now and it's still not resonating. It's I'm not whelmed by it all at the moment. There was a fair bit of silliness out there on the track on the weekend, a fair bit of carnage that really ate into the potential uh, for what they'd going on. You know, like that first race Saturday morning, they, they crashed before the first corner. Mm-hmm. And by the time they got to the sweeper where I was, the field was spread out over 30 seconds. It, was, it wasn't mm. much chop. 
has has like the the Trans Am TA2 series in Australia like killed super utes because that's an affordable racing series and then you can actually drive something that's actually quite cool and people actually want to watch versus driving these super utes where really the the the, the idea was great but it hasn't worked has it no yeah it, it was badly executed to start with and then I, I think the question with super utes is why what is its reason for existence well you're better so- off with senior utes aren't you well, the the New Zealand, yeah, they but they're terrifying. Um, they they were very entertaining though. I, I just y- y- the old V eight Utes existed because they were entertaining. Yeah, and sometimes you don't need any more reason to exist as a category for that. If you can get a big field and have crazy good racing that people genuinely gravitate to, then fine, have have your category. But Richard, they're also market specific as well too. You you could go and buy a V eight, yeah, yeah, you Ford could, yeah, or whatever, sure, hundred hundred percent. And and the whole, oh, we're we're running this category because you know lots of people buy Mitsubishi Tritons or Ford Rangers is rubbish because I, I reckon ninety five percent of people that buy a Ford Ranger probably have got a Mustang or an old XR eight or a GT Falcon in the garage as their nice car. So they don't really care that their daily, their work truck or whatever it is goes racing because they've probably got that yeah. or they covet the real racing car sitting in their garage. So I just don't don't see the point of it. You know, the Cedars guys and all that, they put a heap into it. And yes, they're better now that they're a V8, but they just don't put on that kind of motor racing that everyone has to gravitate to the fence to. I, I, I don't think, in my opinion, anyway. The good thing about the old V8 Utes with the Falcons the, the tubs on the back of them were an absolute disposable commodity. I used to work at a Ford dealership and after a V8 Ute meeting, you know, we'd have a stack of these out the back and we would give it to the competitors for nothing because mm. they weren't worth anything. So you could half ride off a V8 Ute every race meeting and you go and fix it for free. Mm. So that was half the attraction there that it wasn't a big drama doing these, doing the damage to the cars. But the thing with the super Utes now is that the original premise was to attract additional manufacturers into the fold to get those corporates from Mazda, from Mitsubishi, all these different things that couldn't necessarily compete in the supercars, that still draw them in through the super utes. And it, I don't think it's really happened, has it? No. Well, you can't. You can have to use a A-League, mate. Oh, geez. Uh, I think there were more people at Winton on the weekend than watching on TV. Probably. Uh, if you know of anyone who's got a Mitsubishi Triton uh, tub brand new, I wouldn't mind. Get my what hands back into champ. What's going on? Oh, geez, no, we did a bit of work there, haven't we? There's a blind spot on that back left hand side. Oh, there really is. Tony Shebeki's speeding fines. Uh, no, no, no. Here, I think. Uh, Carrera Cup was good action, Richard. Well, look, it was pretty decent for Winton. Um, I, I think there was a concern well, that in a car that's pretty hard to pass, it was going to be a, a procession, uh, and it wasn't. We had a couple of really, really good motor races. Um, Thoroughly enjoyable. The the longer race on Sunday, the Enduro Cup race, was <laughs> wild. There was all sorts of stuff going on there. Um, two Dave first Russell. time, yeah, two first time winners from a, a round perspective. Harry Jones, really good. Matt Belford in pro am, but thirty one Carrera Cup cars on a grid is pretty cool. Why well, it is such a good looking field, and those cars are awesome. They were four seconds a lap faster than the last time Carrera Cup was there in 2013. So she's a big old jump forward, the new car. Mm. Uh, oh, we've got to thank Tony Quinn for wobbling his way into the leaders there. And, well, uh, Harry the Jones certainly race. does. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we've got to thank all those all the coolant down the track because that was oh. uh, pretty specky in that long race. That was uh, mm. You didn't know where to look. There were cars spearing off left, right, and centre. 
all mm. at turn one, weren't they? Just there was about seven or eight of them that just all went off at turn one. Yeah, I, I since asked Porsche what the coolant capacity is for that car, and it's a billion litres. <laughs> <laughs> uh, supercars, though, was what everyone was there to see, and they really didn't disappoint. It was fantastic to see someone take it up to Shane for a full round, and that was, surprisingly, Cam Waters. That's exclusively revealed on their race talk this time last week by myself. It was have, the first I'll, tweet we got for the power ranking to yeah. call out was was from the hashtag direct guy, but he absolutely bang on. Yeah, I'll look, see I if think, I can go for the audio for you. Yeah, please. I, I just think for that that weekend they had been building. I know that they started poorly, Krause, as we discussed previously. But you know, Cam is the lead driver there. You know, even James Courtney had some good results in Perth, and that uh, was shown on the weekend. All the teams that tested there had a distinct advantage over the ones that didn't. And I don't know why, but they obviously did. And uh, Tickford have always done well there, and they performed well, and Cam had the best weekend of his career so far. The big question is, are Tickford now consistent? Because Cam Waters has now put together two and a half rounds of very, very solid results. So remember, halfway through the Grand Prix, went eighth and seventh in the last two races there, and has since gone three, four, seven, one, two, one. And that's probably the best weekend Cam's put together, definitely since Townsville 2 last year, um, when they bounced back from an atrocious opening stint up there in North Queensland. But that was the Tickford that we want and that the series needs. It's the Tickford that can get him in front of Shane. And even if he doesn't quite have the raw speed advantage, if you've got track position and you're a good little race car driver like Cam Waters, you can make it very, very hard, which he did in all three races. It's just so happened that one of the battles happened earlier in race two and Shane was able to get by. But how much better would our championship be from a racing standpoint if that was the Tickford and Cam Waters we got every week? It'd be ridiculous. It's just consistency, isn't it? There's one and a half drivers who are consistent and it's Van Gisberg and he's won a race at every meet so far this year and Reynolds who's mm. really been quite consistent since the since Simmons Plains really he was up on the podium there and he, he's kept scoring podiums throughout I don't know if I'm buying the home track advantage stuff as an excuse for DJR because McLaughlin absolutely smoked him the last few times that we've mm. been there in a DJR car so they just absolutely missed it you know they're turning up to a track where they have gone strong at the past with Scotty up in Darwin last year didn't necessarily go their way. You know, Anton got in the biff and whatnot up there. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. And they're going to Darwin for, for just the one weekend. So they're not going to have the second weekend to, uh, to have a fiddle with it. Well, what are the other takeaways from the event? You know, obviously Van Giers, he's just a beast, isn't he? Yeah. It was good to actually hear him talk in the press conference once. Yeah. Yeah. It's about time. Um, I, I think the other thing, the big story for mine was was Penrite Racing, the Groves and the progress they're making. And you, you touched on Davy Reynolds there, Mark, and remove Sydney from the championship. And it's Shane Van Gisbergen leading and David Reynolds P2 in the championship in front of both Shell V Power cars and Chas Mostert for that matter. So it, it's been a really, really impressive turnaround for them. But... They also found something. Apparently, their test day before we, the, the race meeting was very, very positive in terms of unlocking their qualifying car, and especially for Lee Holdsworth. And that was where he struggled because he's always had good race pace. But 
hello, he qualified well, and he went fourth, fifth, sixth in the three races. And most of them was running nose to tail with his teammates. So all of a sudden, they've got two good cars. And there's not many other teams that have got two good cars at the moment, which is a really important thing. So I, I love what that team's doing. I think it's really, really impressive. And they've, they've made clear and obvious strides towards the front of the field, which I think is brilliant. Well, they are up to fourth in the team's championship now. Yeah, so they're obviously too. they're in front of WAU, who started the season very strongly. Um, but I think they'd be kind of disappointed, I think. Like, you know, I was watching qualifying from the second last corner and Davey made a mistake, which probably cost him pole or front row start at least. And I think he made a mistake in the other qualifying session. Mm. So if he was on the front row twice, there's no there's there's all the chance that he could have won both of those races as well. So I think they they walk away. Happy, but I still think that's a, a missed opportunity for for Penrite Racing that weekend. They could have got a victory, I think. And it's amazing that we look at it like that, isn't mm. it? Because I think mm. two rounds ago, oh. if if we'd gone, oh Dave, come away with it with third, third, and fourth, and you go, oh that's a missed opportunity. Everyone go, what? Hey, mm. they got two podiums and narrowly missed one. That's not a missed opportunity. That's a huge weekend for that team. But now, so quickly, we've gone to expect that they're going to be there or thereabouts because they've done it consistently now since the start of Tasmania. And another one that's quasi consistent at the moment is Andre Heimgartner, a couple of podiums yeah. in the last two events and six top tens on the trot. So he's starting to get the job done. Whereas some of those other guys who have been consistent, the Tim Slades of the world, the Todd Hazelwoods, they were nowhere in the weekend. And also for that matter too, um, Nick Percat, his qualifying is atrocious at the moment. What's going Ch on there? Chaz was... Close enough to the markup near, you know, fourth and fifth for a couple of races, but Nick was so far down the pack, he just couldn't make it up. Yeah, it was, it was out qualified by Jaden O'Jader on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on there. That's that's uh, I I don't think you know it's not the Ricardo show at WAU, is it? Like you know, I think Nick, we all rate Nick as a great driver, and I didn't expect him to be qualifying last like multiple times. Like you know, that's not what we expect. It doesn't matter if it's a different car or not. You still have the talent not to qualify last multiple times. So it's yeah. a big, big, big work on there for that, for that team. Having a chat to Bruce Stewart just before, though, he sort of mentioned that the team is fully aware. They believe now of what the situation is yeah. with Nick's car, and they'll be working extremely hard before Darwin to get it right. Uh, yeah, he, and he said that. He said Nick's not that sort of driver. The team's not that sort of team to just let it rest and, and not move on and find what the issue is. So they'll put their heads down, I'm sure, and do that. The you take Shane out of the the championship at the moment. He's two hundred and eighty one points ahead. So clearly an outright leader. But that battle for second at the moment is so open, all the way down between second, T Pasquale, Waters, Davison, Reynolds, Mostert, and Brock Feeney is just on the edge of there as well. Mm. And if you say Feeney on the edge, Brody Kostecki too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and even down to, you know, to Hazelwood in um, 13th place, excuse me, on 712 points, sort of not that far out because Tim Slade in ninth is on 767. So he's not that far out of the, the top 10, is it? Yeah, if it was a, a world championship for second place, she'd be a banging old championship, uh, Tommy. But yeah, I, I think the biggest question is probably DJR and where do they go from here? And we haven't talked enough about them yet in that we, we were talking off air. The problem with them, their weekend wasn't that they were bad. It was that they were anonymous. And if you're anonymous in the supercar field, that's terrible. Mm. Like it, it, you're almost better off being tragic because you know, you can come back from that. But if you're just completely and utterly mediocre and mid pack, like they were, 
that's a real concern. Yeah, that was an absolute cluster. Like, I just, I don't, how you can go from being the the, the sec, clear second best car and team the previous few rounds, get to Winton without testing there and, and not really getting on top of anything. Um, you know, just qualifying was off, race pace was off. It's just, it's just a weekend to forget. I just, I'm just trying to think from a DJR perspective, when the when was the last time I had a weekend like that? Like, even including a, a Scott. Like it'd be, you'd be going back five, six, seven, eight years to have a weekend that bad where they were nowhere even near the podium. Like, like they were nowhere near getting anywhere near a top five in, in a race result. Like Anton got, I think, eight, tenth, eight. But like he was no, that was still five, ten seconds off finishing and anywhere near the podium. So absolute Barry Crocker. It sort of unraveled a bit after that Saturday qualifying for Will when they got cocky and they didn't put another set of tyres on it and they didn't get out of Q2 into the top 10 and he didn't get any better from there. Yeah, yeah. apparently both cars were on the same strategy. Just Anton went out and Will didn't. So mm. I don't know why that happened. But, yeah, like for, for me, like it's just a silly mistake. Like, Winton, you want to start at the front, even if you're using another set of tyres because you can't pass. So why would you keep a set of tyres and not use them? So, yeah, anyway. We uh, we had a chat to Mark Larkham with uh, the Formula Four kids on Saturday, Friday, yeah, Saturday afternoon. It was just at two o'clock, and he brought that up. and He said, "You don't want to have the rock star effect ever, like what we just saw happen in qualifying." He said, "I'm still shaking my head as I walk here." He was he, absolutely dumbfounded about how that went down. Hmm. You can't afford to have if you want to challenge Shane, and we, we'd like to think that they could. You can't have bad weekends like that because he's not going to have a bad one. And you're basically now, you know, almost a full round behind now um, mm. already. And we're going to another stroll track for Shane in Darwin where he dominated last year and then Townsville won again there. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, you, there's an easy place you can catch it up because we've, as we've seen this year, the races he's gone to hasn't won at, he's won at. So mm. he might consider himself a little bit stiff though, Martin. He was, when he pulled out and went rolled into the pits, he was second fastest. In the times, wasn't he? And then dropped out of yeah. the top, and then dropped out of the top ten. You're a bit stiff when that happens to you, honestly. Mm. Yeah, but they ran on. They ran. They ran greens, and everybody else ran used, and they weren't fast enough. If they were on, yeah. If they ran used on that set, different. But they ran greens, and they thought everybody ran greens, and they did it, and that was just too slow. If they had legitimate car speed, they would have been able to work their way forward from so, where they started those yeah. races, but they didn't. Uh, another miss for the weekend, Erebus pit stop race one for Will Brown. I mean, for the rest of the weekend, he was sixth and fifth, and yep. we're not mm-hmm. even talking about it because it was 27th in the first race. Obviously, he had some clutch dramas, but uh, that was a podium that went begging there for, for Will. Again. Talk, talk about consistency. Consistency is how bad the Erebus pit stops are. <laughs> True. There's at least True. one around, isn't there? There's Every at least round. one around. Yeah. One around. They just like how can you just continually just, you know, those poor those poor kids, like they put themselves in good positions and then they back at the back of the field because they stuff a piss up every round. And and also on the knots was James Courtney having a couple of biffos there on Sunday in that final race, one with his teammate. You don't do that. Mm. Poor Jake, he's uh Cop the rough end of the pineapple two final races in a row now. So, uh, you know, you, you, poor Jake, you know, he's down the pack a little bit there. Where is he? Oh, 24 second last. last of the full-timers, yeah. But it could have been so much better if he wasn't punted off continually in these races. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Bryce Forward. Of course, Darwin's going to be a, a massive race for him, homecoming and all that sort of stuff. But 
he doesn't, and I know it's a totally different situation to where he was in last year, but he just doesn't seem to have improved. Yeah, it would. I mean, it's it's not even a matter of consistency for the other BJR cars, is it? Or inconsistency for that matter. It's just that they're not that good. And um, whether you're your Macca or your Jack or your your um, young Bryce, uh, it's only Andre and his side of that garage that's able to do anything in a BJR car at the moment for whatever reason. And uh, Andre's been one of the star performers for the last two rounds for mine. Um, really enjoyed his work. But like even a, an MSR and, you know, we've been talking up Hazelwood and LeBrock being fast. Um, Scotty Pye was sixth on Saturday. Like what a turnaround that was for Team 18 after riding that car off basically in Perth to get it fixed and get it all patched together. And even Mark Winterbottom, like quiet, but a pair of ninths in the two races on Sunday was solid. But we can't even say that about the other BJR cars. So they've clearly got an enormous amount of work to do. And look, not everyone can be in the top 10 in every race. We know that, but there hasn't even been a glimmer from some people in the field that um, like there's been more potential for a premier high racing car to be in the 10 than a BJR car outside of Andre Heimgartner. But, but even then there were some misses with Pi. He had that uh, non-finish on uh, Sunday race one and they were very late getting that out into the grid. I'm not sure if that thing was absolutely How are they still on. having power steering issues, by Who the knows? way? Like- but And then Winterbottom, yeah, he finished 21st in that first race. He probably would have been up in the top 10 had his thing not shut off down at mm. turn three in the first lap. What do we think of Tom Randall? Like, he um, yeah, got a couple pair of 12s. Like, yep. is that a pass mark for Tommy? Like, in, you know, the, his first full year or, you know, because he was the second best ticket car because he was better than JC and, and Jake Kostecki. So yeah, well, do, you give that a, do we give that a pass mark? I think he's shown us a, a sign of, you know, some type of improvement uh, at Winton. Yeah, I think our I, expectations of people in their first year, though, Richard, are not much, are they? We, we, we give them a first year of learning the game and getting their heads around everything. Oh, and we've seen it time and time again yeah. that they roll out year two and it all clicks. And and the Feeney factor probably makes being a rookie this year really hard because he's jumped into the best car in the field comfortably. And mm-hmm. we, we by the fact that Shane is almost a full round in front is proof positive of that. So uh, it's pretty tough when you're jumping into a team that's hot one week and not the no- another. So oh, I think he's going okay. Yeah. I mean, you can only base him around the guys. He's within the championship and he's one spot behind Scott Pye and one fr- position in front of Jack LeBrock. And we know that those guys can be top 10 runners on their day. So, yeah, hard hard to get a read on where they're at, A, being a rookie and B, being in a, in a team that A, is inconsistent and B, has a track record of having one good car in a race and three ones that end up outside the top 10. Who could turn it around between Winton and Darwin? Yeah, well, I mean, we need DJR to be strong in Darwin. And and if they go to Darwin and only walk away with maybe a third and a second or something like that, then that's not a not a pass mark for mine. They have to go up there and win some races now, both from a championship point of view and both from their own internal team point of view for having such a, a, a really average round um, and, a, and a pretty challenging period of time, especially for Anton. So last time he was on the podium in Wanneroo, yes, with a couple of seconds, but they, they've got to go and, and reshuffle things and get their cars back into victory lane up in Darwin. And, and as Tommy mentioned, that's going to be hard work because Shane's got a mortgage on that place. But that that's the only thing for mine. And and the other thing I'll be watching is what what Tickford do we get? If, if they turn another good weekend in for car six, then that gives us real hope for the remainder of the championship that Cam will be a contender week in, week out, which is 
incredibly valuable to the championship battle. I think it has to be. And what about the um, the super duper soft tires? Have we just lost interest in those now? Like they just mm, they just done much have they? they? Haven't done much in terms of what they were designed to do. But I think they're kind of creating good racing. But again, like there's no there's no deg, there's no offset strategies. Like you know, Perth created that with the yeah deg on the track. But yeah, I thought that you know they we created this tire to create a bit more craziness, and we really haven't had that, have we? The, the deg story, Mark, sort of just not been a thing this year, really, has it at all? And aside from as Tom said, the the track playing a role in in Wanneroo, but yeah, the the Uber Uber Duper Super Soft isn't as perhaps Uber Duper Super as we had hoped it would be from a, a lap time and wear point of view. The problem is that these cars are so good and these drivers are so good, we're not getting safety cars. Yeah. I mean, weird spots that mix up these races. If you had a couple of safety cars in the weekend, it would have absolutely changed everything. Mm. Just, Maybe Dunlop are just that good that they can't make mm. a bad tie. Right. Oh, well, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see them go back to Phillip Island, see what happens there, because uh, <laughs> that's always been fun in the past. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Look forward to Darwin. Hey, we should talk uh, some other motorsport stories we from the weekend. And I would like to kick things off with qualifying for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile sweepstakes in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, the fastest front row in Indy 500 history in terms of average speed. The second fastest four-lap average in Indy 500 history. And it was done by a bloke who's in his 40s. And it's our own Brisbane-born Kiwi, Scott Dixon. <laughs> was really, really cool. Qualifying was awesome. And uh, right at the end of the fast six, at the end of pole day, and he goes out and he does that lap. Ganassi looking super strong. Four of their five cars in mm. the first four rows of the grid. Wowee. Um, but what a performance by Scotty. is in just unbelievably good touch. Can Jimmy Johnson win? Yeah. Yes, 100%. That'd be a story. That would be an amazing story. It'd be let's, extraordinary, Shabazz. Oh, it, it, let's, let's go, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, they can. Just the Ganassi cars are unbelievably good. So Tony Kanan in there, um, Felix Rosenquist. Uh, uh, sorry, Marcus Ericsson, the other um, Scandinavian driver in there as well, and um, their their fifth car only just missed it. So really strong. Penske's been a little bit flat, a bit disappointing. Will Power made it to the twelve, but. Uh, didn't go any further than that. Um, Scotty rolled the dice, gambled pretty hard, and uh, it bit them in the Pennzoil car. So he starts 26th. But I suppose the shining light there is that he's outqualified the defending and four-time champion, Elliot Castroneves. So uh, he's actually not going terribly, but uh, he is a long way down the field and has got some work to do. But it's, she's a stacked old field, and it's so cool to see those cars doing 234 miles an hour. And... Um, they clocked a trap speed from Pato Award at just a smidgen under 243 miles per hour, which uh, for those of us that speak English is just a smidgen under 390 kilometers an Crazy. hour on the entry to turn one. English. It's uh, life-changing stuff. How fast is too fast? Well, they've gone faster in cars that were much less safer than what they've got now. So you look at that thing that Ari Leindyke did the 237 lap with in... No safer, no safer barriers and all that jazz. No safer then. barriers, no halo, no windscreen, no xylon side impact protection no, in the tub. No, no, yeah, no hands device. Correct, hundred um, percent. And a car that was harder to drive in the way it produced its downforce and its horsepower with those big laggy turbos. So um, I think 
I, I really like the way they've got it, where they wind them up for qualifying, they give them all that extra boost, but then they turn them down for the race. I think that's a very smart way to do it. So mm. you get your sexy lap time number, and um, you get a safer race when they're doing 220s. 220s just slow wobbling around Indianapolis, apparently. Well, Crosby, well, you've sat at the end of turn one at Indianapolis. What is it like watching those cars coming to you head on and well, going into that turn? It's, it, I mean, it's hangover curing, Shebex. <laughs> like yeah. when, we, when we went there on Carb Day in 2016, have we mentioned that we went to the Indianapolis 500 in 2016? I don't think we've brought that up. 100th running off. How many, running. Yeah. how many carbs did you consume on Carb Day? I'm sure oh, well, you about that. Well, it turns out that That's we needed question. carbs because uh, the Thursday night we had the old um, the old rookie error of making the first night in town the big one, which mm. is always the opposite of what you should do. But you're in town and you're all excited about being at the Indy 500 and you go out and have, uh, have a quiet, refreshing ale, followed by 4,000 more. Um, well, the worst and, part was was that we were invited to a function first of all, which had free alcohol. Be rude to say no. Um, and then, thank you, Crusher. Yeah, correct. And then you you know, Mr. Shebeki, Mr. Matt Nolte, and myself rolled into the track for Carb Day, feeling a little bit dusty. But the moment for that Carb Day practice, that hour practice session on the Friday, the first car went out, and it was Castro Nevers in the Pennzoil car. Um, I remember that because we stole 4,000 Elio Castroneva's uh, towels <laughs> from the museum on Thursday. There's another story about that we'll tell later. Um, okay, there it is there for it is. on this audio medium we're showing it off to you now. But, um, uh, yeah, the first time I'd ever seen an IndyCar at more than 200 miles an hour and turned into Turn 1 and my hangover was gone. So it was phenomenal, fantastic. Look as they don't fly, it's okay. Yeah, well, it looks like they've done a good job to to manage that, I think, with this, the current technical team in place there at IndyCar. But looking forward to the race. It's going to be huge. Um, so Dixon, Polo, VK on the front row. Ed Carpenter, who's always strong there for Ed Carpenter Racing, off the second row with Ericsson and Kanaan. Um, Will Power goes off 11th. He leads the championship, hasn't won a race, but has not finished lower than fourth either. So he's in really good touch at the moment, and you know that Penske will always engineer something smart on race day. So, But this is a race that anyone can win, and, and I'm pretty confident that Scotty Mack will end up in the mix as well because they've been quite competitive all the way throughout the uh, the practice sessions and uh, in the lead-up to the month of May. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. It'll be live on Stan Sports, um, enjoying their coverage. No ad breaks, which is great. So you get the odd locked-off shot of a racetrack as the Yanks are at uh, commercials, yeah. but that's all right. I'd happily take that. Hey, Formula One, I remember being on this podcast well, not that long ago after the Australian Grand Prix where we said, oh, Leclerc's home and host. Don't worry about it. He's got this <laughs> locked up. Yeah. What went wrong? Yeah, it was a race of two halves, that, because the first half was very non-Spanish Grand Prix and there was all sorts of stuff going on and Leclerc broke and Max threw it off and there was overtaking. And then the second half was absolutely cliche Spanish yeah. Grand Prix when absolutely nothing happened. Except a Mexican getting angry at being screwed over in strategy. That was about it. Yeah, well, but, uh, you, drive, you drive for Red Bull, so you're not going to win a race because Max drives for you. Driver, so yeah, you can exactly. just, just accept that you're number two driver. Like, <laughs> right. How many blokes can we put him on to and have a chat to about that? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah, a couple of bossies we can find. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we like Monaco? Uh, well, can I just say I don't like Barcelona at all? Uh, if Barcelona was to drop off the, the Formula One calendar, I'd, I'd be happy. Oh, I agree. Do we like Monaco? It's becoming a it's track a that's hard. To, oh, we love Monaco because it's Monaco, but it's becoming a track that's hard to watch racing on. 
Yeah, there are two things for mine with Monaco. One, a refusal to do anything to change the circuit to make it better for racing. Uh, two, the fact that the current cars are now so massive that mm. it makes them harder to negotiate a circuit that's not very good for racing. And three, that weird-ass clause in their contract that means they can do their own TV. And it is routinely the worst television coverage of the year in Formula One racing because they do the pictures. Formula One will add all the cream on the top of the graphics and all of that. But it was it was last year, that famous cutaway of yeah, the, the actual meme. cars going side by side up the up the run up to Sandovot and uh, the director cuts away and uh, the world imploded and there were many hours of fun social media activities after that but uh, some pretty frustrated race fans so uh, I know there's talk of uh, Formula One renegotiating there and, and getting a, a license fee out of them and B taking over the TV if they can do that yeah keep it keep the glamour on the on the schedule it's on the bucket list so it's one race as someone who's been to the Monaco Grand Prix, mm. uh, it's pretty bloody amazing. Oh, right, like, mate. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, you went into 500. I just have to drop the Monaco Grand Prix. No, Mark didn't do that either. Oh, sorry, Mark. Have you done anything, yeah. Mark? Like, he's, he's, done, he's done Daytona 500. That's yeah, yeah, Sonoma. That's a six-hour. You've been hey, at the truck with Marcus Ambrose. Be uh, quiet. Uh, have on. any of you been at Nyora Speedway? No. no. Nyora no, There you go. Yeah, I've got you. I think, yeah, this weekend at Monaco, like, the feature thing for me with the first lap when they get to the really, really tight uh, hairpin mm. um, down at Casino Square there. Like, will it be able to turn around and will it just end up just driving in the back of each other like a Formula E race? Um, and will a Formula E race be more exciting than the Formula oh, 1 God. race, oh, which is probably something we don't want to bring dark, up in dark, dark, dark place. Dark place. But, you know, uh, I see in, in, in Miami, like the cars are kind of like hitting square and bouncing off the walls like you're in a – Attempting bowling lane, where you just hit the hit the little you know the the, the lane holders there. So mm. who knows who knows what how these cars will bounce off the wall because they're not built like the ones we had last year where they just I, hit loaded. I always go bumper bowling. bumper bowling. If you get the option to get the bumpers up, surely no. you do that. No, but you don't no, pay no, your fifth. What does a game of bowling cost these? You don't pay your fifteen bucks and put Absolutely your stupid not. shoes on to oh, run no. something down a gutter ball because you shit at so, bowling. So when are you getting the training wheels taken off your bicycle, Richard? <laughs> Well, I don't it's ride like, a bike either, Mark. That's why yeah. I look like I do. You might as well play tennis inside your garage. I don't play tennis either. But if you're going to go yeah, bowling with bumpers. Bumper bowling. He doesn't have time for bike well, riding. I haven't been, been bowling in a decade. Oh, I just feel like I want value for money, and that's me making sure the ball gets to the other end of the lane. All I hope is that the Monaco Grand Prix is better than the NASCAR All-Star Race. Oh, oh, what happened that, there? What, that was the weirdest it, finish in the world. It was no good. That's what happened there. <laughs> I literally uh, flew from Melbourne and drove an hour home and the race still hadn't finished yet. No, no, that, that's okay because there was a lot of faffing around between the um, Open Race and the All-Star Race. But the, the actual race itself, Texas, isn't much chop. It hasn't been for a while and the new car really hasn't improved things. You know, the... They threw one at this car at the start of the year when they had that race in the Coliseum, big tick, but the all-star at Texas, uh, nobody liked that. Uh, and nobody liked it until it came up to the finish, and then everyone hated it because it was terrible. Mm. They had a clause in the rules saying that you had to cross the finish line under green flag to have a win. Uh, the car, third last in the race, scrubbed the wall, 
kept going. Nothing was falling off. No danger. The car didn't stop. They threw the yellow flag half a second before Ryan Blaney was due to cross it. So he's crossed it, seen the checkered flag, which was waving. They didn't have enough time to pull the checkered flag back in. He's Mm. ripped the um, window net down. The window net takes two burly men to put it up, so he couldn't get it up properly. So he's just sort of jammed it in there sideways to uh, get the thing restarted. It clearly wasn't set, set up properly. It wasn't safe, but they let him restart. And he wound up winning. And it, it would have been a travesty had he lost the race, but then it yep. was a travesty that he won the race and it was all just a joke. But he's a million dollars richer, so good luck to him. Does that race have a point anymore? Not really. But if they did something special with it, if they took it to a short circuit or that was their stadium race, um, a lot of it's politics because one of Texas's cup dates was given to Coda. Mm. Um, so Speedway Motorsport taken a date there so as a compensation there was a big fight many many years ago to have two cup dates in texas and so they sort of took one away and they've robbed peter to pay paul and they've taken the all-star race from charlotte moved it to texas and yeah no good the mercedes a-class race celebrity race at the australian grand prix made more sense than that Oh, the format was rubbish. Yeah, it was just, if you just don't understand, they've got to simplify it. You know, back in the day, it used to just be the race winners would lob up and have a 60-lap race and be done with it. But now everyone's got charters and it's like supercars. If you just had a 10-car race, you'd have 15 guys annoyed that they didn't get a shot. So it's sort of lost the plot a bit and lost a bit of meaning. But hopefully they figure out a format and a venue for it that gives it some relevancy again. Anything else, gentlemen? Uh, quick shout out to Jack Dillon, I think. Oh, second, yeah. Second, second in uh, Formula 2. He's got two poles out of four races. So not a bad start for the uh, young rookie, so you call him, in the first full year of Formula 2 and definitely looking like the best rookie, like Dennis Hauger goes there as the Formula 3 champion, really just dominated that class last year in Oscar Piastri, in Oscar Piastri's prima from mm. last year. And uh, Jack is... Uh, swiping the pants with him really at the moment in terms of car speed. So uh, Monaco this weekend for F2 as well. So huge weekend with F2, F1 rolling into well, after MotoGP at Mugello and then into Indy 500. So and no sleeping. 100%. No. And then Coke 600 after that. Yes, correct, which is generally one you miss. Uh, the uh, Speed Series at Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend oh, yeah. with the Shannon's Motorsport Australia oh, Championships. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, perhaps we could have got someone on to help preview that, a driver or somebody. But anyway, uh, TCR S5000 Trans Am under lights Saturday night, which will be fun. Nice. Uh, Touring Car Masters are there. Cam McConville's joining the TCM grid in a Camaro for the rest of the year. So that's a cool thing. Um, TCR's got a good grid. S5000 will be pretty feisty, I think. There's a championship on the line there. And uh, Trans Am will be Trans Am. I think they've got 29 cars. Uh, and Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge have 27 wow. Porsches running as well, which is great. So uh, a big bumper program. There's also, what else is there? Radical Cup Australia, Australian Prototype Series, and Australian Production Cars on that program as well. So it is a monster weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. And the other good thing about it, Mark, is that it is the last time we have to go to Sydney Motorsport Park for 2022. And you've only got 400 categories that you've personally got to look after. Yes. Plenty of motor. Thank you for reminding me about the hair loss that is incoming this weekend. Plenty of motor racing, Richard. I've got at least least three more trips to Sydney Motorsport Park this year. Soz. God. (laughs) (sighs) Don't worry. 
Yeah, it's exactly. just it's still refreshing to not have supercars there every week. So uh, mm. those of us that go to all the rounds, yeah. it's still a nice thing. But uh, look out for that. Uh, all that action live on stand and the Saturday night stuff. I'm pointing at you guys. I don't know why. Uh, the Saturday night stuff is live on Nine Gem, five thirty p.m. Free to air TV before Beautiful. some rugby something happens. So uh, tune into Nine Gem for some live motorsport action, which is channel number ninety. Three-ish. I, I just don't just nine. Jim, <laughs> should probably know that. Um, yeah. But seriously, and I know some people don't want to get a stand subscription and whatever, that's fine. But seven-day free trial, if you're going to do it, this is the weekend, right? So Indy 500, all of that, sign up, all the Speed Series stuff, get your free trial, watch it for nothing, and then cancel it. And, and you, get, sign up. you get, it's on demand as well. So Correct. if you choose to sleep in Monday morning, you can still watch it back at a sensible hour. Exactly. The, the worst part is I've spent 60 bucks since Tasmania and that's all I've ever watched on it. Well, quality. It's worth it. Is great. Series is quality racing. But doesn't the wife enjoy all the stuff on Stan? Yeah, we get Stan, but I've had Stan Sport on with oh. the extra 10 bucks a month. Yeah, right. Mm. That's cool. On, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to send them you, an invoice for this. Catch you next week. See you, boys. Good weekend. Grazie, Mark Walker and... Tom the Doric guy joining us as well. We'll catch you next week right here on The Grid.